Hello out there, all you Zanizos and Peli. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by the fabulous Kristen. How are you doing today? I am doing fairly well. I was outside at work a lot today, so I'm a little sleepy, but it's a beautiful day. A lot more manageable this week than last week. Last week was a little toasty. Yeah. Well, we were uh, having a tropical storm down here that thankfully wasn't too bad for us here. Hopefully folks north of me are doing all right, but it did bring bring us a lot of wind, a lot of rain, but some slightly cooler temperatures for us down here too. So that was nice taking the dog for the walk this evening. Well, I'm glad you're all right. And I had to check in with family in Georgia because they were getting some intense Mm -hmm. winds there as well, but they're doing okay as well. So very good. Glad to hear that. So it's been a little bit since we chatted last. I think our last episode, we talked about hydropower and we talked a little bit about how our use of water impacts the rest of life on earth too. Did you do any scoping out your water bill at all, Kristen, or examining your water use? You know, I've been very bad and I did not do my challenge this time. I have been continuing our pollinator challenges, though. I've been tuned in to the pollinators all around me and it's just become like a game. I don't know um, how familiar you are with the Seek app, but I love it. And I have recently started doing the challenges on the Seek app. Ooh. And so I have been scanning everything. So I did not do any of the challenges from the Hydropower episode, but I'm still on pollinators. That is A-OK. We love that. And, you know, the challenges are for whatever fits your life at the time. And you can keep them all in your back pocket for whenever they work. I will say, I just had to ask, though, because I I also haven't really done my challenge. But what I did realize since recording that episode is that I haven't been paying my water bill. Oh, no. Because apparently they switched systems. Like, I just have it set up to pay automatically. Yeah. You know, and so I don't, I have so many unread emails in my inbox. I don't keep up with things. I'm like, you know, if it's really important, I'll see it, whatever. But apparently I missed this, that they were switching over to a new system. So you had to sort of re-enroll to your automatic payment. So I haven't hadn't been paying it. So I'm paying my water bill again now. So we're stepping in the right direction and uh, I do hope to take a good look at at my water use here in the near future. Always a sad moment for me, though, because I do realize that means I have to take less baths. Mm. Well, you, you completed a, an unknown challenge. <laughs> right. You didn't know <laughs> existed. I didn't know existed. But back to paying my water bill. So we're on the right track. Um, Anything else, though? Any other updates or anything that you want to share before we jump into our question of the week? Well, I did want to follow up a little bit. So the intro for last episode, (laughs) I think I said, what was my adjective? Maybe wonderful, but I said water dragon. And um, I wanted to follow up on some details because when I was trying to think of um, something to do for an intro, I was thinking of lots of, you know, sea creatures and 
what could I do? Well, I wanted something with water in the name, so I chose Water Dragon. And that's not to be confused with Sea Dragon. Yes. I did have to ask Kristen yes. at the end of the episode. I was like, is, is Water Dragon a thing? Because, like, is, is Water Dragon the same thing as a Sea Dragon is what I asked. Because I'm familiar with Sea Dragons, but not Water Dragons. Yes, I'm not super familiar with either, but they are very different. So a water dragon is a lizard, and there are some folks that keep water dragons as pets, um, as opposed to sea dragons, which are (laughs) sea creatures. (laughs) But um, yes, just a little bit on water dragons, because I thought, well, why don't we give a little information on that? Uh, There's a couple different types. There's an Australian and a Chinese water dragon. I think the Chinese is probably the one that people keep as pets Um, and they are vulnerable in their natural habitat. Uh, They can be found in Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, and a small portion of China. Um, It's in their name, but that's not where they are primarily found. So I thought that was interesting. And they're called water dragons because they are pretty strong swimmers and can stay submerged up to 25 minutes wow. which I thought was crazy yeah for a lizard so I just wanted a little background information there I love that I sort yeah. of feel like maybe we should do a lot of times like what I used in today's intro we will talk about it in the course of the episode but that one we didn't I think maybe that that's kind of a fun thing that we'll have to think about for future is to keep a list of our intro creatures sometimes animals sometimes not mm-hmm. uh and you know sometimes maybe share a little info on them so people can learn about them so thanks for doing that yes i love that idea and i still really in all my spare time some right. of them have been so interesting like which adjectives you've paired with them <laughs> i do want to draw some of them oh that would be I so just fun haven't gotten there and yeah. i i need to like tabulate a list of, of all the creatures but Yes, I, that was kind of a random one that um, wasn't really anything to do with the episode besides it had water in the name. Right. So that's why I used it. Listen, I mean, it's really just all for fun. The intro, we love to put to thinking of what we're going to say the moment before we hit the record button is always a good time. Gets the adrenaline going. So, mm-hmm. all right. Anything else or do you want to dive into it? Uh, I think we should dive in. All uh, right. We, I did find a fun video from um, Australia Zoo on water dragons. So oh. we might share the link to that. I don't know yeah. if you saw it, Sarah, but we might share the link to that. It's just a quirky little, it's one of those little shorts from YouTube. I just thought it was really funny. So we might have to share that. I'll have to check it out. I did. I have not watched it yet. So we'll see. All right. Well, let's jump in then to our question of the week, which so we're talking about coral today, and I I didn't feel like I had a great question for that. We've talked a little bit about our water slash ocean experiences, even in our last episode. We've talked about some of that before. So my question for you this week, Kristen, is a little more tangential, but I'm curious, what is the most bizarre animal that you can think of? Just an out there creature. I mean, generally, I do think of a lot of ocean creatures, sea creatures, when I think of bizarre animals, just because there's such a wide diversity of creatures that live in our waters. So I just think of like 
random things like sea cucumbers right. and <laughs> anglerfish and all of the the deep ocean creatures who never see light and all that that kind of stuff when I think of bizarre creatures yeah. that's kind of where I go I feel like I have to agree with you I was trying to think of some part of me was like well that's the easy way out so let me think of some I mean there are some like ones that we've talked about before sloths you know if you get down to it think about what a what a unique creature is a sloth octopus going back to the the aquatic animals you know there are some just really really interesting uh what is the one that has uh the um the star-nosed mole do you know that one yes that has like the tentacly mm-hmm. things like i mean that looks like it shouldn't be a real animal so there's yeah. a lot of just really interesting animals out there but i do feel like you have to go to the ocean deep water animals a lot of times i think it's the things that that just feel the least familiar to us right that seem more out there that don't have the characteristics that we think of when we think about animals and that really is coral in a nutshell right a lot of people don't even realize that coral is an animal so that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to this episode is not going to be heavy in sort of the the conservation side of things. This is going to be heavier in just the nature side of it. We want to talk a little bit about coral, the lives that they lead, and some things that I think slash hope maybe people aren't as aware of about this very cool animal. So stick around for a discussion on coral. Welcome, everyone, to our discussion on coral tonight. This is a requested topic, and I actually decided to split it up into a couple of episodes. So our next episode, we will be talking a little bit more about the conservation side of things with relation to coral. But this was a a listener-requested episode, just curious about coral, coral reefs in general, and gave some freedom to do what, what we wanted with that. So just another reminder... If you request it, we will try to do it. I do have another request that had been submitted that we will get to. We won't always get to them right away, but definitely if you are listening and have a topic that you want to know more about or want to hear us chat about, please feel free to send that in. We'll share information at the end like we do with every episode. Also, just a caveat, we haven't mentioned this in a little while Just know that we are not experts in this field. I've never studied coral in particular, uh, but that's kind of our gig here. We just love nature. We care about the planet. We care about trying to treat the planet in a responsible manner. So we like to learn about these things. We like to chat about it and we like to try to share what we've learned. So if you are listening and you know more about coral. If you have anything to share or anything like that, we're always happy to hear from you too and uh, get more information that we can then pass on to our listeners. But we do enjoy doing this. Uh, Chris and I 
uh, we've shared a little bit about what we currently do and what we've done in the past. We both have a, a conservation education background. So that's why we're here and that's why we're talking about these things. So um, like I said, today we are just going to really focus on some things that I think are pretty cool about coral and try to just understand what coral is in general. So let's start there, Kristen. What do you think of when you think of coral? And you can answer that however you want. Facts about what coral is, what kinds of things come to mind for you. What What do you think of when you think of coral? Well, I go the route of thinking about scuba diving since okay. I'm scuba certified. Um, right. It is on my bucket list to dive the Great Barrier Reef. So that always comes to the top of my mind is um, wanting to see that. Since I'm in the Midwest, I don't have a ton of experience with coral. So it's mostly the hopes and dreams of traveling to different <laughs> places and going diving. I, I'd like to dive around Hawaii as well. So yeah. that's kind of what I think of. How weird is it that you are the scuba certified one and I'm the one that <laughs> the Great Barrier Reef? Just on the very edge, though, I will say I didn't didn't get to experience the quite the total majesty I don't think of of the Great Barrier Reef but still yeah I and I do think probably the Great Barrier Reef is what people think of most of the time when they think of coral uh, they think of these tropical waters these big reef structures just a lot of color and lots of different fish around and all of that and that is certainly very valid that is a huge part of the coral story and a big reason that we talk about coral when it comes to conservation as well. So we will talk about that and those reefs, but there's a lot more to coral than that as well. So let's start from the beginning. Like we said, coral is an animal. They fall in the order, I believe it's pronounced Nidaria. I meant to look this up and I forgot, but the uh, millennial in me wants to say Nidaria because of the MTV show. Do you remember Daria? Yes. Anyway. Oh, memory unlocked. Right? <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure most people will, will say Nidaria. Uh, so they are relatives of animals like jellyfish, which you've had unfortunate encounters with, uh, and anemones as well are all in this group of animals. So what's a Nidarian? They have radial or biradial symmetry. So symmetry kind of around a, a central point. They have a, a simple stomach with a single opening, which we refer to as a mouth at only one end. And they have stinging cells that are called nematocysts. So those, uh, despite you may be thinking, well, I don't feel like coral and jellyfish look anything alike. They do have some similar traits there. And coral is usually made up of individual polyps polyps, which are connected and function together as one colony. So when you are talking about coral being an animal, really one polyp is one animal. And then these polyps will grow together and sort of connect together and function as a unit referred to as a colony. So I just mentioned not all coral is reef building coral. We think of those reef building corals First, so here's, I guess, fun fact number one for you. If coral being an animal wasn't fun fact number one, then this can be number one, that not, not all coral is reef building coral. But I do think that reef building coral is a good place to start because that's what people are familiar with. So reef building corals fall into the category hexacorilia, 
which means that they have six-sided radial symmetry, basically. Reef-building coral, what makes them reef builders is that they secrete a calcium carbonate skeleton, if you will, for lack of a better word. So that provides that rigid surface. And Kristen, tell me if this makes sense. It's not a perfect analogy, but in my mind, I think of coral reefs as cities. So I don't know if it's better to work from the outside in or the inside out, but we have these individual polyps, right? So these individual animals, individual polyp. Uh, Not only do they have like connections where they will like share nutrients and things like that, but they'll secrete this skeleton that kind of connects and stretches over the the colony as well so you have this this one individual polyp i think of that like say maybe an apartment in a building and then you have your apartment building right so all of those polyps all of those units are connected into one big structure so your apartment building is like the colony i like that yeah and then on a reef you have lots of different types of buildings so you have different colonies different species of coral that are all together in this one area on the reef Hmm. right and then cities like coral reefs are going to provide food and shelter for lots of other organisms just like people will come into the city to work or eat or what have you so other animals will be in and out of the coral getting food seeking shelter that's kind of how i think about it and This just like sparked something in me because now I'm picturing all these cities and I thought that was a fantastic analogy. And I told my coworker today that we were going to be talking about coral. And um, his first question was, how many types of coral are there? And I just looked it up. Do you have a guess? Do you know the answer? I don't. uh, This was actually not a thing that I focused on. I feel like I read that there were over 800 species of hard corals of reef building corals that are that we know of but there's probably thousands right six thousand yeah. known species whoa yeah all right back to our regular scheduled program <laughs> no. i just had to I, I had to look that up and then i my mind is blown now yeah there's a lot of diversity the, the interesting thing about coral for how much we talk about them and i sort of alluded to this in the beginning that they they don't take up very much space. But as far as we know right now, coral reefs cover less than 1% of the ocean floor. But it's believed that about 25% of ocean life depends on coral reefs for food or shelter at some point in their life. So sometimes you'll hear, oh, coral reefs are the rainforests of the ocean because of their extreme level of biodiversity and how important they are in the ecosystem. So those are our reef building corals. Those are the ones that get the mega attention. Those are the ones that most people are familiar with. That's what we think about. Again, not all coral reef building corals. So there are some solitary hard corals. So some solitary in this hexacorylia group. And again, forgive me on the pronunciation of all of these things, folks. I don't know if this is fungia or fungia or how you say it, but F-U-N-G-I-A, the, this species of coral are solitary and free-living. So this is, rather than having all of these little polyps, individual polyps growing together in this colony, this is one polyp. And these can be up to like, I think it's like 12 inches 
or so this one polyp can be usually polyps are going to be a few millimeters or so each each individual polyp but this is a free living polyp that uh can get pretty big and this was fascinating to me so we again we think of coral as this sort of rock-like reef structure right that doesn't move fungia corals can move whoa so they have the same larval stage, right? So if we think about a coral's life cycle, which I'm not really going to go into, but um, and there's different ways that they can reproduce. But if you imagine coral reefs spawning, right? So they release their egg and sperm cells, they get together in the water, and then you have this sort of larval stage that's free floating in the water until it lands on a hard surface and is able to grow, right? And then it's stationary for the rest of its life that's that's typically what we would think of so this fungia coral this is they're called mushroom coral as well so maybe i should say that and not keep repeating this name probably pronounced incorrectly uh, so this this type of coral they have that same stage where they're floating in the water and then they do land and they attach and they start to grow but at some point in their life they detach and they break free. And so they'll move, they'll both move involuntarily, like with the water current, but they can move themselves by like, I don't even really know how they do it, but by like puffing up and retracting their, their little tentacles. There'll be a video that we'll share. Don't worry, I'll get to that uh, at the end. But that, both the fact that it is a, a singular polyp, it's so big and that it has the ability to move all of those things, I feel like, are just a slap in the face of what we tend to think about uh, with coral. So love that. And I have so many questions now. <laughs> I First probably of all, don't have answers. <laughs> well, this is just out into the universe, not necessarily to you. And it, this might be my own homework to do, to do some more research, but... Um, first of all, you said that they break free. What causes them yeah, I don't know. to just randomly decide, like, I'm moving today? Would that I, I had the time, Kristen. I didn't, I don't didn't look into it. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it. it's just at uh, a certain size that they reach. I don't know what the mechanics are of it. So I don't know why it happens. Mm. I don't know how it happens. I was well, traveling this weekend, folks, so sorry I didn't have as much time to research as I would have liked. But yeah, so many fascinating things to learn. But, you know, mm. that's probably a departure from what many of you were thinking about coral. So all that said, we also have soft corals, which are not reef-building corals. So soft corals are a slightly different group. They fall under octocorillia, so that means eight-sided radial symmetry. This group also includes other similar-looking organisms like sea fans and sea whips. And these are typically made of many individual polyps. So just like what we talked about with those hard coral, but they don't secrete that calcium carbonate exoskeleton structure. So they don't form these big reef-like structures. They can be found on reefs, but they're not forming a reef structure and they don't have to be found on, on reefs as well. So just know that soft corals exist. You will often hear people describing uh, that hard coral looks like rocks, while soft coral looks more like plants. Again, both of these things, coral are animals, but you'll often hear them described that way. Which brings me to my next fun fact for you about coral, which is that I don't I don't necessarily agree with the, the rock versus plants. I understand absolutely why people say that, but coral look very differently 
based on whether their polyps are open or closed. So coral, again, have these polyps. Polyps are surrounded with little tentacles. They can actually close in those polyps. And for sure, I feel like when hard coral have their polyps closed, they are very rock-like looking, but they can look very different when those polyps are open. So many species of corals, and apparently sea anemones can do this as well, but they're capable of extending, pulling in, or even changing the length of these tentacles that they have in response to things like current, the availability of food, and light intensity. So I think I get the impression that a lot of corals are um, maybe nocturnal feeders. So they're actually, they tend to be more closed during the day and, and open more at night. It is a little bit hard, I've learned, to, to research coral because so much of it seems to come from the aquarium industry. And so you get a lot of like hobby aquarists too saying things about coral that I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to take your word for this or not. Um, so just know that that's some of why I'm like, I, I get the impression that it's like this. But regardless, they can open and close those polyps and that can really change uh, the way they look. I also have a video of that. Uh, so you can get a chance to see what I mean when uh, when I talk about how different that they can look when their polyps are open or closed. And that, talking about these polyps and their tentacles, brings me to my very favorite fun fact about coral. And I learned this, Kristen, back when you and I were working together. And I hosted a meeting where an aquarist came and, and gave a talk about coral. And I wish I still had access to all of her information because it was amazing. It was so cool. It was so well done. I'm like, probably butchering half the things that she said, but the thing that she said that I had never heard of before and have carried with me ever since is that corals fight with each other. So what? coral tentacles that they have around these polyps are not only used for eating, they're also used for coral fights. There is coral warfare, which if you keep in mind that coral are animals, makes sense, right? And again, we're, I'm, I'm talking a little bit more about reef building corals here because that's what we know most about. It's where most information is about. But uh, if you think about a coral reef, there's limited space, right, for these animals to grow. You think about what the needs are for any animal. Space is, is a basic need for animals. You need room to grow. And so they will attack neighboring corals and there's a few ways they can do it. I think that, that some of them will release chemicals too. I didn't even talk about that. But uh, some coral will use their nematocysts in those tentacles to physically attack neighboring corals. Some corals may throw stomach filaments on its neighbors and digest it with their stomach filaments. Okay. Uh, we need to pause here. Um <laughs> So I thought I had questions before, but now, okay, is this, is this process been captured on video? Yes, like, it sure it... has. Okay. Don't worry. I need That's... to see it. Listen, can... do we need to speed it up? Is it like super slow motion it's... or can you see it in real time? They're I mean, I, you can see it in real time. I think it's, it's more exciting to watch the time-lapse. We'll just, spoiler alert. That's your challenge for this evening. It's not a very, uh, 
time intensive challenge, but I do have a video that will be linked in the show notes that has some some polyps that you can see that has coral warfare. So all of you listening will get a chance to see what I'm talking about and and truly marvel. Like that's my hope with the challenge and this whole of tonight's episode, honestly, is that you will just have a greater appreciation for coral as an animal. This just, I, when I heard this back in that meeting, however many years ago that was, like my jaw was literally hanging open. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how, how have I never heard about this before? So coral warfare, it's a thing. Reef is a tough place, man. Gotta, oh, man. gotta fight for your real estate. To so survive there. I need to add fighting coral to my list of things I want to draw for this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Mm, that's so Excellent. cool. All right. So got to survive out there. One of the things you may know about coral, but our next fun fact is that many coral depend on algae to survive out there on the reef. So even though they do eat, they have these tentacles with these stinging cells inside that they can use to basically capture food as it goes by bring it to its mouth little we're talking like little tiny zooplankton things like that that they'll eat but they don't get all of their nutrients from their prey so coral at least the shallow shallow water reef building coral has a symbiotic relationship with an algae called zooxanthellae so that was your intro for tonight this algae provides the coral with their color So when you think about those bright colors of coral, that's actually coming from algae. Coral tissues, if you can call it that, are are clear. Um, So the algae gives them that color and also gives them important things like sugar and oxygen. So this algae is carrying out photosynthesis inside the coral. The coral gets the sugar and oxygen. The coral provides the algae with a sheltered place to live as well as uh, carbon dioxide, which they will use for that photosynthesis. And why we hear about this so often, why this may be a thing that uh, you folks listening have heard before, is um, because this is a a thing that we hear about when coral gets stressed. A lot of times due to elevated water temperatures, like we talked about a few weeks ago, we're seeing right here in Florida. So when coral is, is stressed... The zooxanthellae basically get overwhelmed and they produce chemicals known as reactive oxygen species. And this can be damaging to the coral. So in order to protect themselves, they will the, the coral will expel the zooxanthellae. And this causes it to appear white because, again, the coral itself is colorless. So you're seeing that calcium carbonate exoskeleton when the coral expel their zooxanthellae. And that's what we call coral bleaching, which is a thing that you might hear about in the news. What gets confusing sometimes, I think, to people is coral being bleached does not equal coral being dead right away. (laughs) If the conditions don't improve it does lead to the coral being dead. Coral can recover from bleaching events, but ultimately they cannot survive long-term without that zooxanthellae. So if the stressful event isn't removed, that zooxanthellae can't come back, that coral is going to die. But if the stressor is removed, that zooxanthellae can come back and 
that coral can can recover. So a bleaching event does not equal death. And I think sometimes so people will share X percent of this reef has has been impacted by this bleaching event. That does not necessarily mean that that portion of the reef is all now necessarily dead. So just a little clarification for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I really knew that, that they could come back from a bleaching event. So that's interesting. And that's something we'll talk about more next week too. So I haven't had time to to dive in deep and research that fully to be able to give you any more details uh, than that. But I know that, you know, learning about the resiliency of coral reefs is, is an important thing, obviously, as we move forward with coral conservation. All right. So our last coral fun fact, I guess, if you will, is that coral are also found in a variety of habitats. So again, we think of coral as being shallow water, tropical water, and many of them are for the reason that we just talked about. This zooxanthellae needs sunlight to carry out photosynthesis. So that limits these species to depths that sunlight can reach, obviously. So reef building corals are typically found this number can vary, um, at at depths of less than 70 meters. I've also seen 50 meters for that. Uh, But there are also many species of deep water corals. And this is a thing that I think we know less about. Uh, But our good friends NOAA, which I forgot again to write the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, maybe? Whatever. You guys know. National Oceanic Atmosphere Administration. Yes. Yes. Finally. How many times, how many episodes did that take for us to remember what that stands for? Anyway, according to them, deep sea corals are defined as corals that live at depths greater than 50 meters. uh, But most species live in depths several hundred meters deep in cold, dark, and rocky habitats, often far from the shore. So as opposed to our shallow water coral reefs that we hear about a lot, uh, deep sea corals are found throughout the world's oceans from tropical to polar regions. And yeah, I think I mentioned, but there there are actually thousands of species, I guess, which is surprising to me. And they can be found in waters of the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Ecuador, Japan, and Norway, and the United States. Apparently, deep sea corals have even been found off the coast of Antarctica. So what are they below freezing? Does this mean that well that blows my mind for one. Yeah. Um so these deep sea corals they don't really have much color then, right? Cuz the zooxanthellae can't survive at I believe, that depth. Yes, I believe that that is okay. correct that these are okay. not as colorful as are the tropical counterparts. Mm-hmm. So That would make sense. Yeah. But I don't know. I think and that's that's like literally all I know about deep sea corals. Although I, I guess I was, I, I should say that, I was also doing a little bit of reading that these deeper water corals are also valuable. You know, we don't hear about them as much, but there are um, still uh, sources of shelter and things like that for for other animals down there. So lots of interesting things about coral. I think I'm a little sad that I did have less time to research this one. I'm glad we're doing another episode Although, like I said, that is going to be a little more focused on on the conservation piece. But I just, there's a whole world out there in in the ocean, I guess, in general. But really, I mean, just specifically in, in this world of coral, it really is fascinating. And I think 
overlooked by a lot of people too. So and what an excellent starting point though. I mean, I've got some notes here and there's some things I'm going to follow up on. So hopefully when we dive back into our next episode, <laughs> uh, we'll have a, a little bit more information, but yeah, more, more of a focus on conservation, but if there's some, some more fun facts, we'll bust them out. Yeah. Yeah. If I come up with some other things as we're researching, but so I, I will just wrap up. This is not a fun fact, but it is the fact that needs to, to be shared to lead into our next episode. Coral reefs are essential and coral reefs are in trouble. Those things are both very true. Uh, they are essential for ocean life, like we talked about, it's estimated that a quarter of ocean life depends on coral reef, food, shelter for uh, a lot of different animals. They're also essential for us as people. And, you know, I never feel the need to talk about any of our wildlife or wild places in that sense, because I think they're important on their own, but we do get a lot of value from them as well. We get food uh, from coral reefs and the animals that live there. We are protected by coral reefs, things like um, flooding, uh, erosion, that type of thing, storm surge protection, all of that. But medicines, a lot of medicines are developed from coral reefs. And, you know, per, I don't want to say less important because it's it is important for us to have fun, but, you know, a, a source of recreation and therefore helpful to local economies and things like that, too. So lots of reasons that coral reefs are valuable um, to nature and to us. And and they are in trouble, which we will talk about next week. Coral reefs are around the world. I think it's over 100 countries that have reefs in their along their coast in their waters. So wherever you are around the world, there are, are likely some reefs nearby you. So that's what I got on uh, some possibly less known facts about coral. Kristen, anything to add before we go to our wrap up and our challenge? No, this was great. I learned a lot and um, I'm excited for the next episode. All right. Well, thanks for your discussion. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned. We will be right back with our challenge of the week. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Kristen, thanks for chatting about coral with me. I've already given away our challenge for the week, but it is an easy one. That's the good news. This is one that I feel like as long as you've got access to the internet, which if you're listening to us, you probably do. Uh, this is one that you can use. Go to our website, go to our show notes. Uh, perhaps I can post this on our Facebook page as well directly if that's easier for folks. And just watch some cool coral time lapse and see these animals in action. I feel like, again, you know, this is a creature that is so vastly different from us in the way that it lives its life. This is a an animal that doesn't have a brain, <laughs> that doesn't have eyes, that doesn't have any of the traits or characteristics that, that we would temp 
uh, usually be drawn to or um, that would help us to feel connected to something. And we know that that connection is important to getting people to care and getting people to conserve wildlife. So I feel like that puts coral in a tough spot. So my goal for tonight was really just to get people maybe appreciating coral a little more. So that's it. That's your challenge. Your challenge is to watch this video. And if you feel so inspired to, you know, do a little more digging into the world of coral, that's fantastic. But we're going to save anything else. We're going to save the uh, the threats that coral are facing, the conservation work that's being done. All of that is going to be in our next episode. So you can look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. This has been so great. Um, and I'm so glad it was a recommended episode. So that was a, a good choice, whoever yeah. it was. That was a great choice. Yeah. And, you know, if you are listening and you have other topics that you want to hear discussed, let us know. You can find us everywhere. Well, I feel like you can find us at a dwindling number now, actually. But you can find us on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, at A Little Greener Pod. We are on YouTube if you want to uh, listen to the episodes and have the captions available to you. That's a great place. If you comment on the video, I'll try to, I, I, I think that I'll get notified about that. But probably not the best place to reach out if you want to get in touch. But you can also email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. So episode ideas, questions, comments, feedback, anything like that. We love to hear from our little community. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited for our next episode and we'll chat with everyone next time. Bye.